I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please follow along in Acts 1, 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with him, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates. The Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. God's word. Amen. How many are ready to uh, give the Lord some praise after that, right? Hallelujah. Salvation and glory, honor and power to the Lord our God. For the Lord our God is mighty. The Lord our God is omnipotent. The Lord our God, he and he alone is wonderful. Amen. All right. So um, I know that this church is a church that loves to get excited about the Lord. So can we give the Lord a whoop, whoop? All right. Okay. So I'll just make sure I'm in the right church in case I took a wrong turn and end up in some other church that was feigning as Calvary United Methodist Church on this Sunday. So uh, with that, uh, we're going to be starting a sermon series. If you haven't already met me, 
I'm the strange guy that was in a blue suit a little while ago, and now I'm up here in a different suit as Pastor Henry. And so we're going to be starting a sermon series called Pursue uh, over the next few weeks. And what we want to do is, uh, based off of Psalms 63 and 8, we want to look at different aspects of God where we wholeheartedly go after the heart of the Father. We just wholeheartedly go after the heart of the Father. And that's going to be in different aspects and in different ways. We're going to be looking at what does it mean to be after the heart of the Father. So with that, we already have the scripture read. And so this week, we're going to be focused. And so, um, uh, team, I have the little doohickey. So uh, let's see if it works. It works. All right. So this week, we're going to be going into pursue his promises. And so with the scripture that's already been read, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. But before I get into that, I want want to ask a question. Um, Has anybody been to McDonald's recently? Okay, um, I don't do fast food a lot these days. I'm getting older. It's starting to impact me a little more. Food don't digest as fast, and the other sections seem to hang around longer than when I was younger. So uh, I don't go to fast food as much, but for whatever particular reason, I was in the drive-thru this day looking at the menu, and for whatever reason, I was overwhelmed by the myriad of choices you would now have on a McDonald's menu. And when I was young, um, it was pretty simple, like In-N-Out Burger, Uh, Just a few items with the biggest one being the sandwich with two beef patties, special sauce, less cheese, pickled onions on it. Okay, so you guys have heard of this sandwich. Um, And so I'm glad that uh, Burger King is probably mad. But McDonald's happy to know that you know their jingle, their slogan. And so that used to be the simple way, but not anymore. It seems like McDonald's has figured out that Uh, following that scripture that we can be all things to all people in order to make a profit. And so what they've done is no matter where it is culturally, no matter where you go, McDonald's seems to want to satisfy people where they are. And so what I've kind of learned is when I was, I'm from the South, I'm from Florida, and I was just there a couple of weeks ago. I was just there a couple of weeks ago, and I was going through the drive-thru, and I'm pretty sure I saw something on the menu like McGrits and McOctail and McTurnip Greens and and I'm, I'm thinking that McDonald's is like, as long as we can put a Mick in front of it, everything is kosher. But it's not much better. I came back to North Dakota, and I'm pretty sure I ran through the drive-thru, and there was McLudafisk and McCougan, and yes, exactly. So for those who don't know what Ludafisk is, a Ludafisk is, um, so, so let me explain it this way. They take the fish, they soak it in lye. I don't know what was the idea behind that. But somebody said, yes, let's soak it in lye. And they soak it in lye, and they get this gel-like thing that comes out at the end. So the best way to, to think about it is fish jello. So lutefisk is fish jello. And that is the only thing. So, um, so again, you have all these decisions you have to make. And so uh, what I've come to learn is Uh, With all these decisions, God has wired us in a way because according to psychology today, we roughly make 35,000 decisions per day. Subtracting for the time that we sleep, we make 2,000 decisions per hour. Break that down some more. We're making decisions two seconds every day. Every two seconds, we're making a decision. That's a lot of decisions in a day. That's a lot of stress on us. That's a lot of way to feel overwhelmed. So God has wired us so that we can take shortcuts in order that we can feel comfortable. Comfortable. And so that is the principle 
what I'm learning is that is kind of the principal way we end up making decisions. Based on our values, what we find most important, based on our experience, what we've kind of gone through, based on our education, what we learned formally and informally, and based on our exposure, kind of what we've kind of seen around the world, what we do is we find what makes us more comfortable and we tend to make those decisions. So based on that, uh, I kind of follow Jesus's line of, um, if thou lovest me, order from the dollar menu. And so at McDonald's, I order from the dollar menu a double cheeseburger for a dollar, a fry for a dollar, a water that is free with the cost-benefit ratio, and that works for me, and that's what I'm comfortable with. The sandwich is good based on my experience. I am comfortable. I don't have to make any other decision. It's an easy order every time I go through. And so that's kind of what happens to us also um, as believers. We get comfortable, and we just start making decisions that we're used to. And so, um, uh, not that I'm cheap. Holy frugalness. Holy frugalness is what it's called. Um, and I'm being like Jesus. And Jesus wasn't cheap. Jesus said, I came to bring you life and to give you life more abundantly. However, he did have a finance guy in his 12 guys. And that guy, like church finance committees, are always looking to pinch a penny and save money. And so anytime they would object to an upgrade in the, hey, can we get something beside the McLudifus sandwich? Can I get some fries and a drink? Uh, the Matthew guy would say, no, you can't get a fries and a drink. And they would object. And he would say, well, how much money did it take to feed the 5,000? And so how do you argue with that one, right? And so at that point, um, we're trying to make decisions. We are faced with decisions every day. And you know what? You know the guy I feel bad for is Judas. Not that we always feel bad for Judas. He did what he did. But he, he was rep, reputed as stealing money from the money bag. But my theory is, is that the guy just wanted a fry and drink to go with his sandwich. And so he would occasionally take a dollar or two out of the sandwich. But we're faced with a myriad of decisions every day. And we're facing those decisions. We make those decisions based on comfort because simply routine brings certainty. Certainty brings security. And security brings comfort. We as human creatures do not like change. We as human creatures do not like change. So here's my question. What happens when God disrupts our comfort by asking us to make a decision that redirects our lives? What happens when God asks us to experience something for which we have no reference? Me, seven and a half months ago. When out of nowhere, Fargo made his first blip on my radar. More about that story later. But that's where we also are as a church. After one of the most incredible and greatest leaders we have ever, ever had in Pastor Dave and Mary Mata, incredible people who have led this church for a quarter of a century. For some of you, you have never known anyone else as your pastor. They have led, they have loved, they have ministered, they have poured out, they have given, they have built God's kingdom. And that's very important because not every pastor looks to build God's kingdom. They built God's kingdom, not their own kingdom. And as a result, they have left an incredible legacy. So what do you do when you have this incredible kingdom builder who's been here for a quarter of a century and now the church has a new pastor because uh, uh, Chris was just 
Chris Mussenberger, our DS, she's here. She was just struggling to find anybody, and so there were no saints available. So she went to Sin City to find the biggest sinner she could find because my title is Chief of Sinners. And so she's like, you, you'll work, and uh, brought me back here. So, so it was slim pickings. But not only is that where I found myself seven and a half months ago, that not only is that where we find ourselves as a church, but go to Acts chapter 1. That's where the disciples were finding themselves at this point in the scriptures. You're now talking about Jesus had died. Jesus had been buried. He had been raised again. They have gone through this trauma of losing their leader, someone they love, their rabbi, their teacher. And now he has resurrected, he has come back, and he's ready to pour into them. So starting at the first verse, it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given decisions, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Calvary, individually as a community and as global Christianity, we have to make decisions. And the first decision we're going to have to make is, individually, is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? Now, what do I mean by Jesus is your Lord? Uh, there's very flowery language used around Jesus today. And sometimes, we, you know, we call him JC, our big brother, and, you know, he's one of us. And sometimes we forget that this is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he has all been given, delegated by the Father, all authority under heaven and earth. So what do you do when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords invites you to be a part of his team? Do we follow his commandments as it just said in the scripture? Do we follow his commands? Because if Jesus is our commander and if Jesus has command authority, First, we have to understand that Jesus has command authority, first, organizationally. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. Second, Jesus has commands, but he gives commands as directives. His commands are directives. So here's what we don't understand. If you've never understood royalty or if you've been in the military, when a king makes an invitation or a commander makes an invitation, um, I'll give you a hint. Really not an invitation. All right. So Jesus being a king, when he invites you, that really is saying you're going to show up. So it's a command. When Jesus gives a suggestion, it's really not a suggestion. It's a command. When Jesus makes a recommendation, it's really not a recommendation. It's a command. Why is that? Because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so even when a king hints at, hey, would you like to come over for dinner tonight? Guess what you say to the king? Sure, king, I would love to come to dinner tonight. So Jesus has all command authority, and so we have to decide, is Jesus our Lord? Is Jesus our Lord? Going on in the scriptures, it says, and while he was staying with them, excuse me, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. A question aside, question I'm going to ask is, not only is Jesus your Lord, do you believe in the resurrection, the physical bodily resurrection of Christ? And then appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God, Jesus poured into them, but he taught them the gospel about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. 
Jesus was always focused on the kingdom of God and not our kingdom. But continuing on the scriptures, it says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father to wait. That's something I want you to highlight, underline, make a note in your phone. Wait for the promise of the Father, future-oriented, which he said, you heard from me for John the Baptist, for John baptized with water, past, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, future, not many days from now. Here's the decisions we have to make as a community. Will we pursue God's promise future or will we pursue his promises fulfilled? Will we as a community look to fulfill, look to the promises in the future or will we look to the promises fulfilled? Uh, What does that mean? Translate it. Do we value what God will do or do we more value what God has done? Are we desiring what God will do or are we more focused on what God has done? Which one is important? They're both important. The past gives us reference for what God's done. That gives us our testimony. That gives us our confidence and faith to believe in the Father, to trust him when he tells us to go further. But which one is more important? What God will do. Why is that? Because what God will do may not be what he has done. What he will do, future tense, may not be the same thing of what he has done. It's an interesting scripture God loves to see. He says that I am doing a new thing. God is an innovator. God is the Elon Musk of heaven. He's always trying something new. He's always trying something innovative. Not that he leaves behind tradition. Not that he doesn't believe that he leaves behind the past. He loves the past. He builds a foundation on that. But God is always saying, are you looking towards what I'm trying to do? That's why he told the disciples to go and wait for the promise. Continuing in scriptures, it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons what the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and until the ends of the earth. Decision number three. Whose agenda will you serve? I want you to take a look at this scripture. Jesus had just said, there's this incredible thing about to happen. I want you to go wait for the promise. There's something coming called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's almost like this other thing, the baptism in water, but now it's going to become the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they said, all right, Jesus, sounds good. But, but when are you going to restore the kingdom to our country? Hold it, hold it, hold it. You, you didn't hear me. I, I just talked about this promise, and it's coming from the Father. Good, Jesus. When are we going to be back in power? And Jesus is so wise, he sees into the deep recesses of our hearts. He knew what their question was really about. The question wasn't about simply are they going to restore the kingdom to Israel. It was about power. Because the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, They were notorious for asking those questions. Hey, Jesus, those two influential seats, one on the right and one on the left, when you're sitting on that throne, can we get those? And so the disciples are asking about when do we get that power, God? 
We've been hanging around you. We've been laboring for three and a half years. When do we get our payoff? When do we get that promotion and rank? When do we get to wield some authority over the people of Israel and kick out the Romans? Whose agenda do you serve? The disciples were serving their agenda. But here's what's interesting. Jesus says, okay, okay, I understand you want power. And you will receive it, but not the type of power you think. Not the type of power you think. Because disciples wanted power to rule a country. Christ wanted to give power to revolutionize the world. Christ wanted to transform the world. So here's what's very interesting. They wanted power for a small objective. They were very small-minded, small-thinking. It's just about us. And Christ had a global, cosmic, universal agenda. Sometimes the vision Jesus has for us is bigger than the vision we have for ourselves. Amen? So with that, here's a question I want to ask. And you have to ask yourself, along with the reflection questions that you have in your note takers, please uh, look at those questions, take them on with you, and just reflect with them, have discussions about them. But here's a question I want you to think about. What prevents us from achieving the promise of God, the Holy Spirit, totally invading and inundating and saturating us at Calvary. What stops Pentecost from taking place here at Calvary? What stops the transformational power of the Holy Spirit as experienced in the first church from taking place here at Calvary? And even more so, do we even believe it's possible that God would move like that again? Question for personal consideration. On this agenda discussion, let me share my story real quick. Approximately seven months ago, I was in a place, um, I had decided I did not want to pastor. And if I was going to do uh, ministry, it's either going to be a ministry outside of ministry, like uh, media, which I was strongly considered going into, or I was going to be a missionary in a third world country, because like Francis Chan, I was like, the U.S. church is not catching it. I'm going to go over here where the church is growing like wildfire, and they're on fire for Christ and the Lord. And so that was my agenda. But at that point, I was kind of volunteering in a media organization, and some things just weren't aligning spiritually. I was experiencing spiritual dissonance. I was trying to figure out, okay, Lord, is this where I'm supposed to be? And Lord kept sending signs, this is not where you're supposed to be. And it just got to a place where I just started to, sitting at a desk, I said, cried out to the Lord, okay, Lord, I know I don't belong here. I don't know where I belong. What is your will for me? Would you show me? Then I checked my email. And then there was an email from Chris Mussenberger. And she says, um, Bishop O said, you may be interested uh, possibly in a church that might be coming available. Give me a call uh, if there's any interest. Mm. Okay. Just in case the Lord's in it, I'll give a call. So I gave a call, and Chris says, yes, there's a church in Fargo. Fargo. <laughs> all right. So uh, just in case the Lord is in it, is it all right if I take a week to pray on it? <laughs> she said, absolutely. It's a big decision. You got to take some time, do what you got to do. All right. So I go home. I talk to my wife. I said, wife, uh, Michelle, honey, hey, uh, DS call. She said, there's a church available in Fargo. She said, Fargo. I'm not feeling that. I said, I'm not feeling that either. 
So I went to bed that night, but for some reason, I could not get Fargo out of my mind. Couldn't get any peace about just saying no. So the next morning, I called my mom. That's kind of been my spiritual advisor throughout the years. And she happened to be on the phone with my sister, who I highly respect, a Bible teacher, uh, anointed uh, woman in the Lord. And my uh, stepdad was there, and they were all. And so we get in this group conversation about Fargo, North Dakota, and this church in Fargo, North Dakota, and questions about, well, why would God send you to Fargo, North Dakota? And, you know, and I, I, you almost come and felt like, is, can anything good come from Fargo? Kind of that question people were asking, and it's like, and, you know, my dad, Chris, he's like, uh, well, God is in Fargo, too. The Holy Spirit is out there. And so we're having this conversation, and then my sister, um, without realizing it, gives a word of knowledge. One of those words of knowledge that you know flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but it was the power of the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, I'm in Vegas, my mom's near Orlando, my sister's in Tampa, and the Holy Spirit fell in all three places at the same time with the evidence thereof. For you Pentecostal folks that are speaking in tongues. And so it was definite confirmation. So I said, all right, I guess we're going to Fargo. I come home and tell my wife, I guess we're going to Fargo. And so, but I said, well, maybe I ought to take the rest of the week and pray on it just in case that wasn't the Lord. Test the spirits, right? And then you kind of hear this voice saying, well, if the Holy Spirit has spoke, what are you waiting for? So, very, so it took one day after asking for a week to say, all right, Chris, uh, the Holy Spirit has moved. You tell us where to be and we'll be there. And so, therefore, here I am standing <laughs> before you today. And it's just been a tremendous blessing. But again, I had to make a decision whose agenda was I going to serve? Was I going to serve my agenda or was I going to serve God's agenda? Continuing the scripture, it said, when he had said these things and as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why? I want you to underline why, highlight why, put a why in your notebook. Because Simon Sinek, the writer, uh, he says, wrote a book, said, you start with why. And these men, when they ran into the disciples, decided to start with why. Why do you stand looking? into heaven he simply they simply asked the disciples a question why are you standing looking into heaven the disciples don't respond why they don't respond because they know what that question means God has already given you an order to go do something why are you standing here doing something different okay I know, you missed Jesus. You already lost him once. Now you're losing him again. And so that's really hurtful. And, you know, you got to have time to grieve. But at some point, the men have to ask, why are you still focused on Jesus when he's already left? Why are you still, and for lack of a better way of saying it, and hopefully you'll receive this in the right spirit, why are you focused on the past when I've told you to go focus on the future? Why are you so incredibly inundated and wanting to stay stuck in this place when I have something better for you? That's the question, seriously, we'll have to ponder as a church as we prepare to figure out who are we going to be in this next chapter of Calvary's life? Because simply interpret it the same Jesus who was part of your past will be part of your future. 
The same Jesus who will be part of your past will be part of our future. As the band comes up, I want to read this last question for you to take home. Will you, will we passionately pursue God's promises done or passionately pursue God's promises yet to come? Because this is the one thing we know, choir. All of the promises of God in him are yea and amen to the glory of God through us. Amen.